Please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We've been in Ephesians for a good while, but been away with guest pastors visiting. As in August, we introduced our new vision statement, committing the greatness of God in Jesus Christ to all peoples and all generations. And we invited a, a different father of the faith to come and to speak to us and talk to us about passing the faith. Brian Chapel was September, Carl Ellis is October, and Paul, Dr. Paul Koistra is coming in November. With the travel dates of Dr. Koistra and Carl Ellis, uh, they're coming closer than we had anticipated, but Dr. Ellis will be with us again next week. And that message that we just heard from the choir, it's from Psalm 46, 1, uh, the reality that we do not have to live in fear. And we'll talk today about the power of the gospel to not only change us from living fearfully, but also the power of the gospel to deliver us from living angrily. If you've been in a home where your father or your mother were angry and abusive, it's quite likely that you continue to deal with the negative effects of that kind of wounding of your spirit. If you're in a home now where there's a father or a mother that is using anger to control you, young person, you may be dealing with wounds even now. This text reminds us that we're called to live spirit-filled lives and as parents to live lives that bless our children, not wound our children. And we'll be looking at really chapters 4 through 6 in reference. But I'm going to read Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. This is the word of God. Thanks be to you, O God. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you to teach us what it means to live spirit-filled in our relationships. And especially with those that we love so much, may we reflect your tender favor and fondness and teach us how to cherish our children and our spouses and also Lord touch the wounds of the past in our hearts that make us all too often angry and weary and tired and make us father trusting and hoping in you for a new heart for a new hope and a new future we pray this in Jesus name amen well, no doubt the last year and a half for parents has been exhausting. And parenting today is an exhausting task for more than reasons with just raising children up in the Lord. Many working parents have had to also be child care providers, often educators, and lately public health experts. And if we're honest, we know that we're all tired 
and we're all weary. And when we're tired and we're weary, often the worst of us comes out, not the best of us. And yet this vision that we see in Ephesians 6 is reflected in that Old Testament passage speaking about a God who does not grow tired or weary. And those that have been shaped by the gospel, it says they gain new strength. There's air under their wings. They take off, they lift, they rise. They run and they do not grow weary. They walk and they are not faint. Do you need a rise of your soul today? Do you need reminder that you're going to be okay and that the future is going to be okay and that you can hope again? You know, this text talks about building resilience in the lives of our children rather than resentment. And when we parent out of anger and we parent out of our sinfulness, all too often we build resentment rather than resilience. Now we are teaching our children to be resistant of evil in the world and that's important for them to understand right and wrong. We're told here we have to instruct them. Obedience to your parents' children is instructing you to resist evil in your life. But also, teaching our children how to live the gospel is building resilience in their lives. Inward strength. Inward strength like a rubber band that it, though it's stretched, it doesn't lose its integrity when it returns to form. That's what the Bible says about grace. When we parent by grace, we are building not simply resistance by teaching and instructing our children right and wrong. We are teaching them the resilience that comes from within. Sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? That is there really power for those that are weary? Is there forgiveness for those who are failures? All of us as parents must confess that we have poorly parented our children and we've been parented by people that at times have not only uh, been angry with us in sinful anger but also have not taught us. This passage gives us hope that we can build something in the next generation that really will rise up and fly. I mentioned Nazim Tlaib's book Anti-Fragile the uh, subtitle is Things That Gain from Disorder. And the book is about, it's a business book, but he's documenting this reality that some businesses, some institutions, and some people are what he calls anti-fragile. It's different than being stable or strong when pressures come your way. Anti-fragile is more than that. It's this idea of things and people that get stronger from the storms that actually are strengthened and strengthen others when the pressure is placed upon them. That's the spirit-filled life. That's the grace-centered leader. That is the spirit-filled family that Paul is talking about here, that we, as Isaiah said, that wait on the Lord, gain new strength, we mount up with wings like eagles. We run and we're not weary. We'll walk and we do not faint. Have you ever seen an eagle in flight? And how effortless it looks 
when it seems as if that eagle is just hanging between the mountains and the ground. I met my son in Texas. He was changing graduate school from Texas to California. I flew into Texas, and we drove his car to California, and so we had to make a little stop by a little dip called the Grand Canyon, and I was blown away by, of course, the size of that dip, but I was also blown away by those eagles. You know, the bald eagle has a wingspan of nearly eight feet, and as you looked at them suspended between the ground and the sky, it looked as if they were suspended and frozen and not even moving, effortless. They'd mounted up, they'd found a thermal, it's an air column, you know, heat rises and uh, an eagle will take off from the nest and begin to flap until it finds that thermal. But when it hits the heat, it rises and then it moves to find those heat thermals and you'll see it just dart and just rise. Sometimes can fly over 250 miles a day. That's really the vision here that we have of living resilient lives. It's that something carries us even in the difficulties, even in the hardships. Is it really true that we could go stronger? Could we be like eagles and rise? Well, that's what the text tells us here. So as parents, how do we pass this on to our children. Paul's been teaching us that we have to live spirit-filled lives and we have to make the gospel the center of our parenting. Now, I know that sounds cliche and I know that you've probably heard that over and over. What does it mean to make the gospel the central component of our parenting? Well, it means when we make the gospel central to our parenting, it means that we discipline them and we instruct them, as Paul says here. So I want to reflect for just a few minutes on remembering what it means to make the gospel central in your parenting. And I also want to reflect on the need to rely upon the Holy Spirit in your parenting. And then I want to remind parents of a new resolve resolve to teach your children background ideas about parenting, maybe parenting by default where your parents just parented according to the least path of resistance, or trial by error, or parent by reaction, or parent by comparison, and your parents, maybe they loved you, and maybe they provided for you, but maybe they wounded you, and maybe they have left scars on your soul. My wife was parented by a father that was very angry, and we've spent years talking about many of her impulses that she knows that come from the fact that this father was so angry over the smallest of things, the most insignificant of things. Many of you have those kinds of scars in your own life, and it makes it difficult for you to ask, how do I parent by grace? How do I live spirit-filled when some of your impulses are still wounded? So it is true that we have to understand our past, but we have to see the pattern that the gospel brings in our present. Do you know what Paul's been teaching us? He's been saying that you are loved unconditionally, 
That means faith plus nothing equals salvation. You don't have to perform for God. You don't have to make up for all your wrongdoings. Every morning you wake up to this fondness and to this favor. Does it sound too good to be true? That's the pattern of gospel-centered parenting. God doesn't have disdain for you. He's not disappointed in you. He's not waiting for you to try harder or do better. He loves you in Jesus Christ, and you belong to him. That's the pattern of the Father. If we're going to be healed inwardly, we have to study and learn and marinate and meditate on the fatherhood of God. Zephaniah says that God, when he is in our presence, he sings over us with love and joy. Does that sound too good to be true? Do you think, oh, no, not me, Mike. He may sing over others, but not me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I deserve. But those that are in Christ, we receive what we don't deserve. And we see, receive the love and the affection and the fondness and the compassion that the Father has for the Son. And Jesus has taken our place, and we've exchanged our shame for his affection and his love. So we have to parent from the pattern, from the pattern that we've been loved. But Ephesians also tells us that we don't parent alone. We're to parent in a partnership. Now, we read in Ephesians 5 where Paul says, Husbands and wives, y'all are in a partnership. And God knows that we need one another because it is at times that our lack of sanctification begins to show. And the collective sanctification of our partner points our spouse or our children back to this pattern of love. But we're also told in Ephesians 4 and 5 that we've been put into the family. This charge to the fathers is written to the church at Ephesus. So this is a charge to the church to nurture fathers in partnership. I'll just ask you parents right now, are you parenting in partnership with others in the body of Christ? A vision of micro-communities, if you will, or our own little spiritual pods of discipleship where we're not alone, where we can share one another's burdens, we can encourage one another, where our, the parents that we partner with are also models for our children, that they can speak into our children's lives. I want you to know that over the 30 years of involvement here at First Presbyterian Church, one of the greatest blessings God gave our family is parenting in partnership. And it went two ways. It went upward with mentors, and it went outward with peers. We just approached some families in the church that we respected, and they had raised their children up in the Lord. And we went to David and Betty Hanks, and we went to Jerry and Nancy Miller, and we said, would you mentor us? And they said, well, what areas do you want to be mentored in? In parenting, especially parenting teens. Well, what do you have in mind? We said, well, we'll just call you up when you have time. We'll come over and we'll ask you questions. And we'll tell you our struggles. And we'll hear how you deal with those things. And they were so delightful. Do you have partners in your parenting? And what about peers? The Lord has given us 
peers where these friends of ours who have children that were our children's age, that they were models for our children. When they saw our children acting up, they went and talked to them and, and said, said, this is not something you need to be doing. Get in line. Uh, change your actions. You know that's not the way you're supposed to be acting. They would tell us. They would say, hey, you know, I straighten Connor out and you won't have to. And I said, well, thank you for letting me know that and definitely thank you for, telling, uh, for correcting him as well. But we need to not only see the pattern in our own family, we need to see, see the pattern in our partnerships. But the text also says that when we pattern by the gospel and when we partner together, we personalize our parenting. Now, where do I see that? In Ephesians 4, Paul says that we're all part of this family, the body, but each of us are unique and we each have unique gifts and we each can make unique part contributions. So parents, you have to parent each child uniquely and spirit-filled parenting will understand their unique needs and partner with others and personalize the parenting message. So what is our goal here? It says in the text to bring them up in the Lord, that they might rise, that they might be filled with the Spirit, that they might build Spirit-filled marriages, that they might build Spirit-filled families. Is that the vision that you have for your children? Don't you see, fathers, how important it is that you resolve? Not only are you going to be filled with the Spirit, but you are going to teach your children. And Paul says negatively, this means that we must not be overly critical. We must not be overly defensive. We must not be overly indulgent. It says that this will produce resentment, frustration for our children, and it will lead to their sinfulness. Calvin said it this way, that this text tells us that we are to fondly cherish our ch children, and the uh, discipline and uh, instruction is out of a love that they feel and know that they're fondly cherished. As I mentioned, it's very difficult as a parent not to parent out of your weakness and your sinfulness. James 1 says, the sinfulness of man will not produce the ang excuse me, the anger of man will not produce the righteousness of God. And we know that when we parent out of anger, we not only lead to resentment, but we also lead to wounds in our own heart. The Roman father would have had absolute control over his family. He could have his child put in chains. He could have his child executed. He could sell his child as a slave. He had the power of the law. And so abuse was in the, in the lives of children was normal in that culture. And when we parent by that kind of abuse, it will lead to a kind of sinfulness and rebellion in our children. What causes us to parent out of that anger? Well, I think it's two things. One, it's inward turmoil. We're not recognizing that sometimes our children embarrass us. It's our pride. Or it's inward turmoil. We're fearful that they're going to be failures. It's all about fear of failure or pride or embarrassment or it could be outward loss of control we feel that 
our children are pushing buttons and doing things that we know that we can't control them. We're called to rely on the Holy Spirit and to resolve to teach our children. What does it mean to rely on the Holy Spirit in parenting, to fondly cherish them? Let me just mention a few of these things. I think first it means to recognize how delicate our children's spirit is. Now, you may have a child that seems strong and talks back to you, and you think that they want to get right in the game and you're going to go toe-to-toe with them. I want you to know your words hit harder and your words hurt more. And so we need to remember that our children, especially their own little tender souls, are very delicate. We need to be very careful that our words and our actions take that into consideration. Now, some have speculated that when Paul talks about this example, maybe this was Paul's life. Maybe he lived in a home where his father deprived him of love. He was raised in a Roman home, and obviously, if he moved to the top of the religious circuit, he obviously had very, very demanding Jewish parents. But he says here that we're to fondly cherish our children. Starts with recognizing that they're delicate in their personalities. Two, we need to not make unreasonable demands on our children due to their immaturity. We need to recognize that sometimes children act out of rebellion, but oftentimes children just act out of foolishness. That's a different category than rebellion. Foolishness is just immaturity, and foolishness just is the limit that a child has, oftentimes because of their curiosity. And so they will punch your buttons, and they will push the limits, but often it's just childishness. Now, besides uh, foolishness and childishness, there's a whole other category. I had three boys and one girl. Parents of boys, there's a category called boyishness, okay? And I'm not saying that boys get a pass, but I am saying that sometimes you can't make any sense out of what they are doing or not doing, and you just have to make sure that they don't hurt themselves or hurt uh, someone else and just move on. I'll just tell you, it's a whole different category. Well, what happens when we don't parent with fondness and tenderness as spirit-filled parents. Well, we can do that by overindulgence just like we can by harshness. But what we're doing is we're training our child to hear a voice in their head, to hear a voice of critique, to hear a voice of condemnation, to hear a voice that says that they're not loved and cared for. A young husband told me this week that his wife had a little fender bender and she called him to say, I'm fine, the car's fine, but please, please just don't be mad at me. And he said to me, he said, I've never been mad at her. I don't know what she's talking about. And I said, yes, you do. I know her background and you know her background. She lived with a father who was always angry about the smallest of things. And that father's voice was always in her head when she made a mistake. And she always lived in that fear of disappointing him. You know, I mentioned that that was my wife's background, uh, living in a home where explosive rage over the smallest thing began to create a pensive and fearful atmosphere assuming that you never knew when you were going to do the wrong thing. 
I had another young man tell me that every time that he went onto the ball field, he heard his father's anger. Every time he took a test in college, he could hear that voice, that voice that says that you don't meet my standards. Well, we can parent out of anger, and yet we're called to parent with fondness, and we're called to discipline them and instruct them. How do we discipline and how do we instruct? That word discipline is the word paideia, and it actually is speaking about the whole system of design that cultivates conditions conducive for growth. You can think about it like cultivating a garden. When he says discipline, he's not just talking about correction and consequences and punishment. He's actually talking about stirring up an environment that causes growth, that stretches your children. It's not just our goal that our children are comfortable and that they know that they're loved. We want them to grow and we want them to grow in Christ's likeness. We want to stretch them. We want to challenge them. We want to stir up their growth. And that's what the word discipline means here. It's not just talking about uh, consequences. It's also talking about spiritual growth. Because God's placed your children in your family for their sanctification, for their stretching. And God's placed your children in your family for your sanctification and for your stretching, that you might grow in Christ's likeness. And you might be disciplined even in the struggles that your child is having. I will say at this point that parents need to think through what type of corporal punishment with very small children you would use. What spank on the hand or the backside or timeouts you need to use. But whatever you use, you should never, ever discipline in anger. You should step away and you should come to your senses before you act out. Because your goal is to stir them up spiritually. Your goal is to comfort them as you challenge them. You know, I found an interesting verse in Deuteronomy 32 this week about eagles. It says, God, as the eagle, he found Israel in a desert land, in a howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, so the Lord stirs up his nest, catching them, bearing them on its pinions, and guiding them. Do you see the picture here of discipline? Our children is creating environments whereby they might grow. I read on National Geographic website that it's not true that mother eaglets, mother eagles push the eaglets out of the nest and then swoop down below them to teach them how to flap. But it is true that the mother begins to deprive her eaglet of food and begins to place the food on branches that will require them to begin to move from one from the nest to the branch and flap their wings. And that hunger, that deprivation of sorts as the mother flies back and forth from this branch to the other provides the example so that they might be stirred up for discipline. That's the picture that we have here. God stretches us. God calls us to fill those thermals and to rise that we might grow. You might ask those questions. Why is the Lord letting this happen to me? 
You might feel like he's abandoned you in a situation. He's stirring you up that you might grow, that you might learn what it means to fly like and soar like eagle's wings. Just a couple of things about teaching parents. I want to remind you that you are to instruct children not just what to do, but why they should do it. You're to instruct them not just what to do, but why. To just say, because I said so, is not sufficient. Now, maybe in that moment, if they're about to be hit by a car, or if you're having problems in the grocery store, I get that. But part of our instruction is always the whys and not just the what's. They need to understand biblically why this is important. And the last thing I would say to you as parents, you're responsible for your child's Christian education. That includes what they learn in Sunday school, but their whole education, moral and mental, it is your responsibility. Now, we will teach with you. We will teach you. We will teach your children. We will teach your youth and nurture them with you. We will support you in whatever Christian school or home school or public school choice that you make, but it's not the school's responsibility to teach your children. It's your responsibility. And years ago, this church started a school, Westminster Schools of Augusta, and many of our families children attend that school and we want anyone who would like to be a part of that we want to encourage you that we want to help you participate but we also want you to know that it's your responsibility to stir them up in moral as well as in mental education in the next few weeks in some of our Sunday school classes those who have young parents will be talking to you about educating your children and also about Westminster and that opportunity as we'd like more and more of our families to grow in that opportunity. Let me apply this just on some perspectives about parenting. How does this spirit-filled parenting paradigm apply? Just three things. One is uh, I encourage you parents, stay in the narratives in your children's lives and let those narratives inform your episodes. All too often, we begin to parent our children in the episodes, and we begin to change that gospel narrative. I'll give you an example. Your child comes home with a bad grade, and you say, many more grades like that, and you'll never get into that college that you want to get into. Or you say, no selfish person will ever want to marry someone like you. What did you just do? You saw them in their weakness. You saw them in this episode. And what you then did is you projected that episode on their future narrative. You said, you'll never be able to get into college. You'll never have someone love you because you're selfish. All too often, in that moment, parents, take a deep breath. Be reminded, you're going to go to sleep tonight, and they're going to go to sleep, and you're both going to wake up. And no matter how that moment and episode feels, back up until you can see the landscape. Back up until you can remember the promises. Parent out of the narratives and let those narratives inform those episodes. All too often, in the moment, what comes out? Harshness. What comes out? Fear. What comes out? Wounds. That's number one. Stay in the narrative and out of the episodes. Number two, stay in the boat, especially when it's stormy or headed 
in a rough direction. Now, I'm probably speaking to parents of teens and college and uh, out of the home, because for the most part, if your children are still in elementary school, you're in the boat, steering the boat. But what happens as they become teenagers is you allow them to go in a different direction. You allow them to make their own decisions. But as a parent, you need to stay in the boat. You need to join them. You need to observe them. And even when they're making bad decisions, you need to allow them to test the waters on things and not create such an overprotective environment that they can't understand consequences and understand the cost of decisions that they make. You know, I find it interesting that Jesus, when he told the disciples, we're going to the other side, what's the first thing he did? He got in the boat. And then what's the second thing he did? He went to sleep. And when, did Jesus know that the storm was coming? Yes, I think Jesus knew that the storm was coming. And, but he was asleep in the boat. But he was with them, ready to teach that lesson because he was in the boat. So parents, stay in the boat, whatever that means in a relationship for you. And then lastly, continue to steady your heart by God's redemptive story. I can't promise you that your children are not going to go through some rough waters. I can't say that they're not going to make some disappointing decisions. I can't say that, that they may not break your heart. That might actually happen. But you know what? We're told that the redemptive narrative is that Jesus will have the last word and that Jesus will not only be faithful to your children and your children's children, He'll be faithful beyond what they deserve. When we were really struggling as parents, I would often tell Sandra, she, was, she would give me the litany of all the things we were failing in, and we were bad this, and we were bad that, and I was like, it's a lot worse than that. That's just the stuff we know about. And if our children's goodwill and heavenly hope is based on our parenting, all our children are going to hell because we don't bring enough collective sanctification. We cannot save by our actions. We have to stay in this redemptive narrative. Jesus came to angry parents who fail their children. You know, having adult children, watching them with my grandchildren, I have, I constantly just ask them to forgive me for parenting out of anger. And I, and I always ask them, is there any places where I've wounded you and I want them to see that I need the gospel just like they need the gospel. But I also would tell them, if you need to go to a counselor, just send me the bill. I'm sure I'm responsible for all the damage that's been done in your heart. We've got to stay in the narrative and know that when we stay in the narrative, there's a different voice in our heads. There's a, vo there's a voice in our heads that, sa that says, you are loved. You are fondly cherished. You belong to me. It's going to be all right. I'm going to take care of everything. In the end, we'll all be together and full of joy. That's what it means to be spirit-filled in our parenting and in our teaching. Last word, Danny Warfel, quarterback of the University of Florida and later in the NFL and Heisman Trophy winner, has been a friend of mine for a long time and he was involved in our ministry when he was in college, but uh, we would stay connected, especially since he's been the director of Desire Street Ministries. But he tells a story about his own experience as a little boy. He said in the first grade, 
he was scheduled to run a race with other first graders. And he said he got to the race, to the, the, the uh, start line, and a voice in his head just kind of overwhelmed him. The voice said, you're fast. You're fast. You can win this. He said he remembered back in the third grade he was taking a test, and he was tempted to look on his neighbor's paper and cheat on that test, and it was like a voice said, you're good, you're smart, you're prepared, you don't have to cheat. And he said that all through his athletic performance, he would face disappointments. He would be benched by Steve Spurrier at times. He would, he would, he would lose games. And he said that he'd hear this voice in his head. It would be, you're not going to give up. You're not going to quit. You're a finisher. He never really analyzed those voices, but he always knew there was that, that voice in his head. And he wondered where it came from. After his first child was born, his mother visited, and she was taking care of little Jonah in the nursery. He said he walked down the hall. He heard his mother say, you're fast, you're smart, you're strong. And he thought, my whole life, I've heard a mother and a father speak fondness and favor over me. I want to be a father like that. I want you to know if you belong to Jesus Christ, he stays in the narrative not in the episode. He stays in the boat, no matter what the storm. And he always has the last word. And the last word, dear child, you belong to me. It's going to be okay. Let's pray together. It does sound too good to be true, Father. I pray that every person can hear my voice, knows the Father's favor, the forgiveness of Jesus, the fellowship of the Spirit. Father, I would pray that you would make this church a grace-filled community where favor and forgiveness and fellowship and fondness is the central experience in our lives. I pray for families and for fathers. We know we need forgiveness. Mothers, we need courage. We need your wisdom to discipline and instruct our children. Thank you, Father, that you never fail us. We just ask you, Father, as we go forward, that we might love a hurting, angry, broken world with humility and favor and forgiveness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.